Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 13, where today we're joined by Steve Flores, outdoor writer, Matthews Pro Staff member, and mountain buck hunter. Today, Steve shares strategies for hunting mountain bucks and how fitness works into his overall hunting strategy. All right. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 13. And today I am joined by Steve Flores. Super stoked to have Steve on. Uh, Steve hails from West Virginia and is a mountain buck hunter. Um, I've recently, as as many of you probably have listened to um, the previous podcast with my hunt in Ohio, I of course was hunting uh, some mountain ground in the uh, of the public land variety in Ohio. So <clears throat> I've recently gained a, a new found or a, a rekindled a um, love for uh, hunting mountain ground. Uh, the farm that we have back in Western PA has some mountainous area, uh, a lot of ridges, but there's still like there's some agricultural land to, to kind of help uh, help you determine how deer are moving and using the property from bedding to, to a food source. Um, so moving out and going to Ohio and hunting that mountain ground this past year was really an eye-opening experience for me. And honestly, I had looked at uh, some of Steve's writings um, as I was preparing to go out for that hunt and just kind of looking at some of the tips that he shared in his past writings um, to kind of get geared up. So it was it was super super helpful to have uh, that that bit of knowledge as I was headed to the timber, and which makes me equally as stoked to have him on today to kind of share those tips with all of you. Um, as I know, you know, a lot of folks who are listening may or may not have uh, private ground to hunt, and I know Steve hunts predominantly on on public ground at least this year. Um, and so a lot of the tactics and a lot of the things that he'll share will be applicable 
available to uh, those of us who are looking at public ground as an option, specifically when we're talking about mountainous uh, mountainous regions in the uh, around the Pennsylvania, specifically in the northeastern area, and then also obviously getting into the West Virginia area. Uh, but with that said, unfortunately, uh, Phil is not able to join us today, so I will be riding solo on this mission. Um, and without uh, further ado, I think we should just go ahead and dial Steve in and get started with some mountain buck strategies. But before I dial Steve in, let's pause for a quick moment for a word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Life's a passion, pursue it, is the Exodus mantra. Today, Exodus customer Chris Applestat shares how Exodus helps him pursue his passion. Everyone has passions. Um, that's pretty clear, but lots of people put thought into their passion, but don't put action into their passion. So they, they talk about it. Um, they talk about what they want to do one day, but they never actually take that step to do it. And uh, I feel it's probably the same way with, with the guys that that own Exodus as they thought about it for a couple of years and said, hey, let's screw it. Let's go build a better trail camera and uh, make it available to, to fellow hunters. And that's what they did. It's really cool. And I, uh, as I become more and more passionate, you know, I'm, I'm relatively young in my hunting career, but I become more and more passionate and learn more and more. It's just another great tool to have, uh, to learn about the deer population. It's, you know, invaluable, especially as an entrepreneur, a father of two little, you know, kids under three, it's, uh, time is limited. And so the more information you can have and the clearer picture, I mean, it's, I've, from now on, I'll rather buy one excess camera versus, you know, three less expensive cameras because seeing a blurry antler looking object is nothing compared to seeing a, a crisp, clean picture of exactly what you're looking for. So that's, uh, that's why I became an Exodus fan and will continue to uh, purchase them in the future. And that, folks, is an Exodus experience. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, visit them at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And now back to the show. All right. I am joined by Steve Flores. Some of you may know him as a, uh, what we'll call a, an, an expert mountain hunter, if, if you will. He, he hails from a region that's close to my near, or near uh, my hometown of, uh, of Bedford, Pennsylvania, by the way, of, uh, of West Virginia. Um, super stoked to have Steve on. Just a little bit of background on Steve is that he's a pro staff member with Matthews, of course. And uh, I've, of course, seen a lot of the articles that you've written that kind of come from all over the place from, you know, I know you've been working on stuff uh, with the folks from Deer Lab, Deer and Deer Hunting, Bow Hunting World, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a few. But uh, how are you doing this evening, sir? Oh, I'm doing good, doing good, Clint. Doing oh. good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think I'm finally coming down with my first uh, my my first pre winter cold. But other than that, we uh, we can't complain too much, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, at least yeah, I waited till uh, my deer season was that. tagged out, so I was at least fortunate enough in that regard. Oh yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse than getting your first uh, cold of the year right when the good good part of the season. I know, right? I'm always, I'm always, I'm always juiced up on all kinds of vitamins and stuff like that around that time of the year. Then the rest of the year, it seems like I slack off a little bit, but, um, so I know that I've done, you know, I've been reading some articles from you and have followed you for, for a a little while now. Um, but for those of you who may not be as familiar with you, why don't you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, you know, where you're from, what you do professionally in the whitetail world and so forth. Okay. Um, well, the first thing I, I'm no expert by any means. I mean, I, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of guys that live and and hunt near me that 
that I would say that are that I mean I, I would put them above me as far as hunting goes. Um, for some reason, God just blessed me with the ability to write, and that's really how I got my name into the hunting industry was was through writing. Right. Um, probably about eight eight or nine years ago, I, I'd always had a love for writing, and I, I decided that. Uh, I was going to combine my passion with for riding and, and bow hunting together and just see if I could uh, get my foot in the door with some magazines and, 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 and try to start riding. And after getting rejected uh, 10 or 12 times, I finally got uh, an editor to say, yeah, I'm going to take a look at your stuff. And I wrote an article and, and got my foot in the door, and then things just kind of snowballed from there. And uh, I kind of wrote for Bow and Arrow uh, hunting magazine, for about three years exclusively just for them and then kind of wanted to start branching out in the other magazines like Peterson's and Bowhunting World and, and uh, some of the other stuff that you've mentioned and then got kind of into the online content and uh, so that's basically what I do in my spare time um, uh, in my full time job I'm actually a, a physical education teacher um, so I kind of do the writing the freelance writing on the side when I whenever I get a chance. Um, it just seems like the older my kids get, the less time I get to do that kind of stuff. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, can, I, can, I can sympathize with you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I've, I've lived here in West Virginia since uh, I was two, you know, which is about 43 years, and, and uh, I've chased these, these deer around these mountains for a pretty long time, and it, 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 it never gets any easier. <laughs> It, it, it's it's a difficult task to pull off year after year, right? Sure. So, with that being said, how's uh how's your uh, t- uh twenty six season been so far? Uh, this one's been a rough year uh, for me, actually. Um, the past eight years, I've actually been on a lease, and we have four bow bow only counties mm-hmm. in our state. And I was actually on a lease in one of those, and and which. You know, a lot of guys will get on those leases and they, they automatically assume that they're going to arrow a nice buck and, and it just it doesn't happen. I mean, we average, we probably have 35 guys on our lease a year and I would say on average you might have four to five bucks taken off of that lease. And that's, you know, out of 30-some 30, 30 guys. So the odds, even on leased property, it, it's still tough. I mean, the only... The only advantage to having a leased property is you can control what the other people do. Right. You know, it's not, not unlike the public land where I can't control somebody who hunts near me who maybe doesn't take the same scent precautions I do, who might take the easy route to his stand instead of the hard route mm-hmm. to avoid bumping deer. You know, those are the kind of things that that hunting on a lease uh helps you out in but you still there's other things that you still have to do uh that are you know i think that are crucial to being successful in the mountains that, that a lot of those guys didn't do or don't do and that's why the success rate i think was just so low uh even on a lease property um, but this year's like a, I, so i lost that lease uh, i lost that lease this year so i've been on public land um a lot of my, the beginning part of my season, I was focused on an elk hunt. I went on an elk hunt in Idaho. So that was really where my brain was on elk for most of the summer. And 
in the first part of our, our season. And when I came back, uh, you know, I didn't really have a specific spot picked out that I really wanted to hunt. And so I kind of just kind of laid back and laid low until the rut kicked in and then, then kind of made my move and, and, uh, passed up a few decent bucks and, and, uh, just haven't seen the one that I'm after. And, but it, it, you know, I, it's, it's not a complaint. I mean, I just love being able to get out in the mountains period and, and being able to hunt. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I know I, I, I'm sorry. I know I saw some pictures too. Just, I know I follow you on, on social and, uh, and you know, it's part of the successful season. I think you had a, you had a young fellow that was joining you this year as well. Didn't you? Yeah, you know, I've got two I've got two boys and a daughter and this is the first year that my my sons have actually uh got to bow hunt with me and actually got up in a tree stand. That was an adventure in itself. That was uh, <laughs> <laughs> we could go over we could probably fill another segment on just getting your kid up in a tree stand for the first time. <laughs> I might have to pick your uh, brain on that because I think it's fast approaching for me too. The the, the little girl, she's uh, got a bow and she's into it. So, I might have to pick your oh, brain yeah. on how to do that. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was really interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, normally uh, the you know part of the best time of the year that I like to be out hunting uh, on my own, I spent that with my boys, you know, and it was it was uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, it was it, I, it was it was a fun experience, and of course they they froze out within about two hours. So the hunt didn't last very long, and, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's one of those things that they'll carry on for, you know, hopefully the rest of their life. And they'll remember that when they're my age and, and right. it'll, it'll light a fire in them. So it was worth it. But, right. uh, I remember my first deer hunt with my dad. I, I froze to death <laughs> and I, I actually fell asleep on the ground for part of it. So, you know, that, oh, wasn't, yeah. that wasn't necessarily yeah. any indication how much I was going to enjoy it later, but, uh, you know, I'm just thankful yeah. he took me out and took the time to, uh, make sure to continue to take me out. So it's the, it's the job we have as dads, right? It's what we got to do. But, oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you had mentioned a couple of things there, you know, talking about public ground and, you know, you had a lease and you did this, you know, this year you kind of went back to the public ground and, you know, the one thing, you know, whenever I'm looking at articles or if you read, you know, if you listen to other podcasts or you're watching TV shows, a lot of those a lot of those outlets seem to, you know, tend to focus on Midwest style of hunting, you know? And so one of the things that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed about your writing and just your approach and specifically where you're, you know, where you live and where you're from and where you hunt is that you're, you know, more focused on the the mountain type of hunting and, and that type of terrain. And so I wanted to really kind of talk mm-hmm. about the, the tips and strategies that are geared toward hunting mountains in, in, in big timber areas. So I mm-hmm. guess for starters, you know what's the what's the biggest difference that you that you kind of have learned over the years or noticed over the years of you know between hunting heavy ag lands like the Midwest you know whether it's the Ohio's mm-hmm. Illinois uh, you know getting into Iowa or what have you versus hunting more mountainous terrain or hunting mountain bucks specifically. Yeah, well for me it you know and I Bill Winky I'm sure you're familiar with him I grew up reading his articles and he was. He's, Still is kind of uh, you know my my writing hero. Um, right. I love his work, and I so so as I was younger and earlier in my career, I tried to take everything that Bill and all these other writers was were were putting in print. I tried to apply that to what I did, and it, it never could get it to work. Right. It just never would work, and it finally dawned on me one day that hey, it's 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 never going to work because it, the, the 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 puzzle pieces aren't the same. 
And the biggest thing that, that I realized was, you know, for for most of the Midwestern guys, they have a point A and a point B. They have bedding and feeding. And you can pretty much guess where the deer are going to feed, where they're going to bed. I mean, right. you might have a food, a food you, may, you may have a food plot that's fairly large. It might be, a, you know, the size of a football field. But you know that deer's coming to that food plot. Right. He's going to be there. And so basically... And, then, and I don't say this to to be judgmental on mid, Midwestern hunters. I mean, you know, they, I'm sure that there's difficulties in that too. But they're you know they're limited to the size of that food plot and what spot that deer's going to come out on, and they basically know where the deer's bedding and where he's going to approach from. And the trick is either get in between those, get in between A and B. or just pick the right corner of the food plot that the buck's going to come out on for that evening. Whereas you know, for us, they could, it, I like to think of it more as like a shotgun pattern. You know, there's a lot of places that the deer will tend to bed, but I've bumped deer in the craziest places. I've bumped <laughs> deer everywhere in the mountains. Right. I've bumped them in, you know, the really thick stuff. I've bumped them in the wide open spot. I mean, mm-hmm. they just, they, they, they bed, they bed just about anywhere and they can feed just about anywhere. If there's no acorns on the ground, they'll just browse on anything. So, the problem, you know, problem I always faced was how do you hunt a buck, a mature buck or any buck that, that when he gets up out of that bed and you're not really sure where he's bedding at, he can go in any direction to find food. That, right. To me, it was just, you know, how do you hunt a deer like that? Right. And that was what I found was the biggest difference between what the Midwestern guys are doing and what we're doing. It's a and B, you know, there's no A and B for us. It's it's all scattered. It's A through Z. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's A through Z for us. I mean, that buck gets up or that doe or whatever. I mean, it, it can go around the point away from you. It can go down the hill away from you. It can go uphill from you. You just never know, you know, unless uh, there's somebody out there that has a secret that, that I don't know about. I, I've never been able to predict exactly where a buck's going to go when he gets up. Right. So, so when you're looking, you know, obviously, you know, even in the mountain area, it's as complicated as it is, right? It's like, there's still a lot of scouting and, and, and stuff that has to be done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're always, you know, I think as hunters, like our goal really is, is like, how we tip, how do we tip, try to tip the scales a little bit more in our favor? We never get them tipped in our favor, right? But it's how do you, how do you start to tip them to where that we're increasing our odds, I guess you could say. So what mm-hmm. type of features are you looking for when you're looking at mountainous terrain versus flatland? You know, it's like, are you using cameras any differently than you would in the Midwest and, and how so? Um, I, I mean, if I put a camera out, I usually try to put a camera in a funnel and I'm not really, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't really use cameras a lot. I mean, if I do use a camera, um, it'll just be to inventory deer. And if I, if, in West Virginia, baiting is legal. Um, it's not something I do, but it's perfectly legal. Um, if I put a camera out, it's usually over that over, you know, a corn pile, just to get an inventory of what type of bucks or how many deer are in an area. Um, but if I do hang a camera out, it'll usually be in a pinch point, just somewhere where the terrain where will funnel the deer movement into one little spot. You know, and that could be, you know, I mean. It, most of these deer are lazy, um, especially when they've got to live their lives in these mountains. They're going to find the easiest route to move around, you know, in all this mess. So if you find an area where, you know, the, the terrain is difficult on either side, 
and it, it kind of pinches down into an easy spot that's, you know, easy walking or easy access for deer. Those are usually, usually the, the locations that I'll, I'll hang a camera up. Um, I've always just been fearful of going and checking that camera. <clears throat> yeah, um, I, I, I hear you there. That, that's my biggest fear. I mean, a lot of these guys in the Midwest, they can use cellular, uh, you know, the, the cellular technology, and or they can ride right up to it on their on their side-by-side or whatever they're riding. They don't even have to step foot on the ground and pull a card out and go on. Whereas, you know, somebody like me or you, I've actually got to go into that area and disturb that area right? Um, to check that camera. So, honestly, I'll actually use, if I hang a camera, I mostly won't use the information that I gain from that camera until I'm actually in that area hunting or I'll pull that card and then just kind of reference that information that I gather for the next year. So if I pull a camera card and I've got an area that saw a lot of doe traffic or, you know, saw buck traffic, then I'll kind of file that away and say, okay, next year I know that this will be a good spot. I don't have to go in. I can just go in and hang a stand early and then I don't bother it. Uh, you know, but as far as going in and checking a camera every two weeks or something, that's just not something that I, I like to do. Right. So you'd mentioned, you know, obviously that you, you bump deer from the different areas, like every, in the, in the craziest places when you're, you know, hunting mm-hmm. mountain areas and stuff, but have you found any particular type of places or areas that you've consistently found buck bedding whenever you're, when you're scouting a mountain? Um, as far as bucks, no, cause I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I don't, a, lo- a long time ago, I quit, tra- I quit chasing the bucks because, um, I just think the odds are stacked against me too much. They're already stacked against me just because of the, 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 the terrain and the wind and everything else. And, and I, I figured my goal was to figure out a way to bring that buck to me instead of me trying to find him i'll let him find me and that's kind of how that's kind of what my philosophy has been over about the past 10 years or so um is is concentrating on the does in order to get the bucks to me um and we we can delve into that if you want to now or we can get into that a little bit yeah (laughs) no i think that's think, my whole philosophy is, is, is bringing them to me. I don't chase them anymore. Right, because the one thing I wanted to ask was, you know, if there was a particular time of year that you find is, you know, better for, for hunting, you know, mountain bucks versus other yeah. times of the year. So it sounds to me like, you know, not to not to speak for you, put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're probably leaning more toward rut if you're really kind of focusing on the does. Is that, would that be accurate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're one of these guys that, that – uh, that hunts over bait or whatever. And like I said, that I'm not knocking that. That's that's perfectly legal here where I live. Um, it's just not something I do. But I think if you're going to have a chance at a mature buck, it's initially right when the season opens. If you've got one that's consistently coming into feed or mineral sites or whatever, I think those that initial first couple of days of the season is a good chance to, to get him because hasn't been under any pressure you know unless you've been in and out of that area a lot right um and then my my favorite time of the year for mature bucks uh in the mountains is usually around november 9th through maybe the 20th like a week or so before the thanks 
Thanksgiving week. Mm-hmm. That's when things, at least here where I live, really start ramping up. So right. what I do is I try to find a group of does, um, just find out where there's a group of does living, bedding, hanging out. And then that's where I decide that I'm going to concentrate on my buck hunting. And then I figure out the weaknesses in the terrain that's, that's in that area. And then I won't touch that spot until, you know, that second week in November. So then I'll, I'll ease in there and, and, uh, and try to kill a buck. And the test, I was on that lease, uh, I guess 10 years, mm-hmm. eight years. And I only, I didn't, I didn't tag out twice, but those were once, one year was because of, I just passed up some bucks and didn't tag out. And then last year, uh, I had a, I had a, a huge 10 point coming to me and had a tree that blew down the year before and the doe that he was chasing, she came up to that tree and I guess it, it just diverted her in a different direction and. Um, of course he went with her so yeah i mean but that you know using that tactic in that spot i mean it, it was it was like shooting fish in a barrel for me um <laughs> you gotta... yeah, it really was i mean it, it and it was you know and like i said i was on a lease with 35 guys and you know four of us four or five may have killed each year but it was i, I killed every year and that and i don't say that in a boastful way it's just that you know a lot of those guys they paid their money for the lease, and as soon as bow season opened, they were there. Right. They were there hunting that lease, and they were on it every day, every weekend. I may have been on my, I may have been in my stand. I think the longest I ever sat in my stand before killing was maybe four days. Right. Nice. Yeah. You know, so I was only there four days out of the year. Right. So I yep. guess you know I don't know if they they looked at it as well. I to get my money's worth. I'm gonna <laughs> hunt every day I can. Right, getting your money's worth is tagging out, in my opinion, right? Exactly. <laughs> I got my money's worth because I feel tagged for that eight years. Right. I mean, I definitely, um, I, I definitely took an approach personally this year of a, a hunting smarter, not harder. Not saying that I didn't hunt hard, but I definitely was a little more choosy. You know, we have a farm out in Western PA, and I actually only hunted it, mm-hmm. I think, three sets the entire year. Um, you know, I have some in-laws that hunted it, and they hunted it kind of hard in the early part of the mm-hmm. season, so I just kind of knew it was probably going to go cold. So I actually spent my time in Ohio on a piece of public ground that it was a piece of goat rock that no one else was going to hunt. You know what I mean? It was nasty mm-hmm. to get into, and I pretty much knew that I'd have it to myself. And so I did what you said. I kind of found a, a nice spot where I was f- finding some nice sign. I saw some does. And, mm-hmm. uh, I did, I uh, sat two and a half days, I think, or three days and, and tagged out. So there you go. yeah, it was, I saw action. I saw what I wanted to see and I knew that I was in the right spot. And I knew it was just kind of a matter of time. And, uh, mm-hmm. I could tell there wasn't anybody really in there cause there was no, there was no boot prints walking in anywhere and, in uh, into an easy access area or the, what would have been the easiest access area. But so, yeah. Yeah. But so the one thing I wanted to ask, because I know, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, your your season's still kind of ongoing. And I, as I mentioned, following you on social, I know you're about to get after it here again as we kind of approach late season. So since we're coming up on the later part of the season, do you have any tips for hunting the late season for, you know, whether you're finding, because I know a lot of folks will say, you know, late season, find the food, find the deer. But as you were mentioning, the mountain, it's it's difficult. They'll eat on browse if there's not any acorns on the ground. And at this time of the year, acorns should probably be ate up by this point, unless they just overlook the spot, which I'm going to guess they probably yeah. haven't, right? So it's like <clears throat> you're really looking at like green briar yeah. and just forbs and stuff that are naturally there. So 
do you have like a top five tips for hunting mountain bucks in the late season or like things that you follow that are, you know, a plan for to try to give yourself the best chance of success during the late season in the mountain area? Um, well, you know, like I said, a lot of guys, they'll bait. I mean, they'll, they'll, especially when the later part of the year, when most of the food is gone, they'll, they'll start baiting heavily. Um, I, I typically try to find the nastiest spots I can find because like we're, this is our, last week was our first week of gun season. This is our second week and then gun season's over. Right. And then we'll have a, we'll have a doe season and then we'll have a muzzleloader season. So the deer are really getting hammered right now. They're getting pressured and they're not going to, their behavior from three weeks ago has completely changed. You know, it's, they're just, there's so many people in the woods right now that they're not just going to be strolling around unless you get a, you know, you catch a buck that's on a hot doe. Right. Yeah. You know, then, then you, then you've lucked out. So I, I typically try to just look for some places that, like you said, people haven't been. Um, you know, some thick, nasty stuff where a buck may just be laying low, getting up at, you know, right at the edge of dark, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, move around, um, or catch a place that's that's got some younger does that are, uh, you know, coming into heat for the very first time. You kind of catch that. You know, you've heard of that second rut rolling around, and right. I, I've experienced that a few times. Um, <clears throat> mostly because I don't—I've never had to rely on that to to catch up with a buck. Um, excuse me, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, if you can find a place that's got some does that still, you know, that are still undisturbed, you got some younger does that are coming to heat. You know, those bucks are gonna are still gonna look look for them and find you know. Um, chase them around so that's uh that's basically what i do i mean i don't know that that's uh right cause five food, points but right because food's pretty much non-existent at that point whenever you get into the timber or it's not yeah you wouldn't find it concentrated enough at that point to really be meaningful i guess no and it, yeah unless you're putting it out yourself i mean it's not the food is just really not an option right um, now we've had a few years uh i've been last year year before last I mean, there was acorns on the ground in January. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just truckloads of them. <laughs> um, yeah, and that makes it really hard. I mean, that, that that makes it, you know, that's that goes back to my point. You know, right? How do you hunt a buck that that's got ache, that's got food where he beds? He doesn't even have to get up. He can get up <laughs> and move two feet and feed, and then sit right back down. Right. It's like if I'm watching a football game and I got a bowl of snacks, I'm not getting up. Doesn't matter how bad you're I go to the bathroom. <laughs> you're get, yeah, you're not getting up. Right. Yeah, you're not going to move. Right. So uh, the, the the mountain areas yeah. are just tricky in general, right? It doesn't matter what season it is, you know, whether you're looking for food or, or what have you. It's, it's a challenge regardless. And then, you know, at least in my experience, and I'm curious to see what you have to, to say about this, but – you know, the weather when you hit mountain areas is just like that added almost slap in the face because it's like after maybe you've started figuring some things out and putting some puzzle pieces together, then you've got the weather to, to kind of contend with mm-hmm. and wind and so forth. So are there any specific weather patterns that you're looking for when hunting mountain terrain that you're like those specific weather pa- weather patterns mean you're in a tree, no doubt? Yeah. Um, well, I like to be, I mean, kind of, a lot like those midwestern guys anytime a front's going to blow through uh just prior to or or just after i would you know that's one similarity that we have with those guys that that actually uh you know we can apply to what we do um i had a buck last year 
fairly large buck I've been after for a while. It was early in the season, and I was kind of breaking my own rules, and I was kind of chasing him early instead of waiting for the rut. And um, one day I noticed a real heavy storm was going to blow through just prior to dark. And I thought, maybe if this storm blows through, it'll get him up. Well, once it's gone, it was going to, it was going to go through fast. I thought, well, if it goes through quick, and it, and it lets up right close to dark. Maybe it'll get him up off his feet a little bit earlier because after he lays there in that rain for a while, he's going to want to get up. Right. And so I kind of took a half a day of work, got out in the woods, got in the tree, sat through that storm. I actually had to climb down and get on the ground. At one point, it was so bad, the wind and there's lightning, and I just got down on the ground, and then <laughs> it, it, it went right through. I climbed right back up my tree, and then within 15 minutes, I look up and here comes this buck I've been after, <laughs> and I thought I thought I got you. After all these years, I finally got you. And he he got I literally could have spit on him, jumped out of the tree and landed on his back, but he got on the back side of me in some thick stuff that I couldn't shoot through. And I just had to stand and look at him for ten minutes, and <laughs> <laughs> I haven't laid eyes on him since. I mean, it's just one of those things. So uh, I, I think. Yeah, right before a storm, uh, right after a storm. You know, two years ago I shot a buck. I'd only had one picture of this deer. He was only a six-point, but he was just—he was the biggest six-point I'd ever seen. And he had two small uh, drop tines on his right side. I wanted—I was really wanting to catch up to this deer, but I could never find him. Never got pictures. Nothing. Only had two pictures of this deer ever. And the day I shot him and went out, it was. It was supposed to be rain, then sleet, and then snow. Just miserable. I go out before the rain even hits, get in my stand. It's still dark, and all that weather blows through. And as soon as the snowflakes start dropping, the bucks were everywhere. And I saw eight bucks that morning, and he was the last one I saw and shot. Wow. And, And the interesting thing about him that I thought was interesting was I guess like on his front legs where I guess our elbows would be where mm-hmm. the bend in his knee is was like leather. Both, both both knees were like leather. And I don't know if that's just where he bedded so much, right. you know, he just never moved, which would explain why I never got very many pictures of him. Right. Uh, but he just, he, I guess he was just one of those bucks that just never moved until, you know, it was that second week of November when he was up looking for a, a date and he, he come through the wrong spot, right, or the or the right spot, depending on if you're the deer or, or the, the right. Is the right spot for me? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, so I typically like before or right after bad weather. I mean, I, if I know a storm's going to blow through, I'll go try to get out in the middle of it. Right. I already want to be out there when it stops. I want to be in my tree. I don't want to have to wait till it stops, then get dressed, then get ready, then go. Because then by then the deer are up and moving, and you're bumping them. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. You're 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 following, or you're yeah. Exactly. You're meeting them halfway, which is always a bad uh, a, 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 yeah. you know, bad news. So yeah. So you're getting out in in front of them, or, or you know, in the middle of rather to hunt the the backside, or you're getting out in advance of of the storms to 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 try to catch some movement. What about you know you know do you do you follow the moon at all? Like you know for helping you kind of predict when you're going to hit hit the stand, like the overhead underfoot, or do you kind of subscribe? I know like the, the folks from the Drury's are really big on like the, the, the five days leading up to the full moon and the five days, you know, post full moon, you know, their feeling is that that's kind of like the time to, 
time to really hit the timber and when they're going to see the, the big boys kind of moving. So do you, do you follow the moon in, in any regard? At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Honestly, no. Um, you know, I guess if I was uh, if I was as fortunate as the juries and I could hunt every day of the year and could plan, and I I just I've never. I mean, if I've got a chance to hunt, or if I've got you know, me and you, we live in the real world and we have vacation days we can or can't take or obligations that <laughs> right. that pop up here and there, and and we just we go when we can. Uh, but honestly, I've never. I don't. I don't turn down a day of hunting just because of what the moon's doing. Um, and I, I don't really plan my hunts around the moon. I do know that I'd rather have no moon than a full moon. It seems like when we have a full moon that I see less deer movement during the day, right. uh, especially early or especially in the early morning hours. Right. Um, you know, on a night when there's no moon and I go out, it seems like the deer movement is, is really <clears throat> heavy earlier in the morning as opposed to the full moon nights but right. no i don't specifically uh i don't specifically build anything around the moon and yeah, anything that i do i followed a moon guide for one season and i i had trouble correlating movement movement to it and truth be told this year i, I kind of my plan was to do it again to see if i could find any different uh information for myself but kind of uh mm-hmm. forgot about it to be quite honest but i don't know that i necessarily subscribe to it um either i'm sure if you have time to really kind of pull the data and compile all the information you can probably pull some puzzle pieces together um mm-hmm. but but for me i'm kind of in the same boat as you which i think a lot of our you know my listeners here are as well where it's like you got vacation days to take you take them you make the best laid plans you yeah. can possibly make and then you just go try to get it done you know i think that's yeah that's usually yeah. My, my plan but yeah. the one thing that I think is tricky, and, and I played around with it a little bit this year in the my hunt I had in Ohio, and I'm just curious how you how you kind of manage this is, you know, in hunting mountainous areas, you know, it's like you're typically never on a flat piece of ground, right? You're usually on some type of uh, ridge or the side of a mm-hmm. ridge, and you're always kind of dealing with the wind, not just the prevailing, but you're also dealing with thermals, right? So I'm just mm-hmm. curious what your strategy is for for playing the wind whenever you're hunting hunting mountain ground and, and how you're working with those thermals. Yeah, I get you know a lot of guys ask me that, and they'll say, "What do you what do you think about the wind or the winds?" This and I honestly, and a lot of people probably uh, may not believe me, but I never hang a stand based on the wind, the way the wind's going to blow. Hmm. It's just uh, I don't I don't I take, and the reason why is I take my my scent control uh, steps to such an extreme that. I honestly believe that I can fool a deer, and I know he smells me. I mean, right. there's no doubt that a deer will smell me. But my theory has been, when that deer does smell me, I want him to think, because I actually think that they can determine how close you are, or you know, by the the, the strength of the odor. I, I want the, my odor to be so minuscule that that deer, when he does smell me, he thinks that I'm 200 yards away when I'm actually 20 yards and getting ready to kill him. Right. Um, so honestly, I, I don't, uh, I do not hang a stand based on where I think the wind's blowing. Now there's 
obviously when I get in spots and 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 there's certain areas that I wish the wind would blow, you know, uh, if I'm expecting a deer to come from one direction, obviously I want the wind in my face. But if I think a deer's coming from that direction and the wind's going to blow toward him, I'll hunt it anyway. I just it's just it's something I've I, I just don't I don't uh, I, that was something I did early on. Yeah, because that was that's all you you read and you hear about is play the wind, play the wind. Mm-hmm. In the mountains, I, I've had the wind hit me in the face and the neck at the same time. It's been <laughs> it it I just know, right? it goes everywhere and it changes from one hour to one minute to the next. It changes, so there's no there's no way that you can possibly hang a stand <laughs> and have a constant wind direction. But and I've wrote about that a few times. The one places that you can get a constant wind direction are, are usually your ridge tops, right. um, you know. And but the problem with that is they're easy to access, and that's where a lot of guys end up. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, you'll find buck sign on those ridge tops, but it's mostly done at night, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And that's kind of the trap that some guys fall into. They get okay, got an easy piece of. I can get to this place real easy, and there's a lot of rubs and a lot of scrapes here. There's got to be a buck here. And they hang a stand. The wind's blowing in the right direction, and they never see the buck. Yeah, and I think well, there's something to be know, said for – sometimes I think you have to give that buck the wind, too, to give him confidence, right? Because, you know, unless mm-hmm. unless, you, unless you have a buck that's just tailwinding, right, then he's mm-hmm. going to want the wind in his favor in some way, shape, or form, or he's likely not going to come your direction. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I had a little bit of experience with that this year, you know, when I was in Ohio, Ohio for me was a, just a wildly eye opening experience for me in, in, in hunting, you know, like nice bucks because these, mm-hmm. I, I definitely was giving up the wind on a handful of the approaches that I had. Um, yeah. But they, but they didn't seem to mind. And I guess my scent control was on point enough to where it wasn't, it wasn't blowing them out. It didn't have anything blow me up. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely, at one point, I kind of got nervous because there was a nice one behind me. I couldn't get a shot out, and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, "Man, the wind is blowing right across my face, right at him." And he was, mm-hmm. he was on a doe though, and ripping up some trees. So I don't think his mind was necessarily trying to figure out what the wind, what was happening with the wind. I think he was yeah. thinking of other things. Yeah. So I had that, <laughs> I had that going. But you for still got to pull that doe, you know. I mean, even that, that says a lot about your set control too. I mean, you still got to pull that doe. Yeah, you know, yeah, the buck and, is the buck is is at a vulnerable point in his in his life at that time, and yeah. but that doe that he's trailing, man, she'll bust you, she'll bust you real quick. Oh, too, that was so. that was the part that was making me nervous because she got she got right down in front of me, and then my wind was was good for her, but then the only spot mm-hmm. that was even remotely open that I was sitting in was in front of me, and it was just a small window where mm-hmm. if she was gonna where I didn't have any breakup, if she was gonna bust me, that was where it was gonna be. But Speaking yep. of scent, scent control, you know, I wanted to just get into a little bit of like what your what your scent control regimen looks like because I'm always interested to see how guys are approaching mm-hmm. this because everyone has a little bit different you know approach to it. Um, some guys are more in, emphatic in their approach than others, um, mm-hmm. so I'm just curious to see what you what you do. Um, well, I usually try to start about a couple weeks before opening day, and I'll just. I'll start using scent-free soap. I mean, that's what usually everybody does. They, you know, everybody, it's no big, yeah, no big shock or everybody uses scent-free soap. But I know a lot of guys that'll wear cologne and, you know, bath in their regular soap through the week. And then Friday night, if they're going to hunt Saturday, they, they water, they bath in scent-free soap and go out. You right. Know? And I, to me, I just, I, I, 
I would rather go to the extreme and start a couple weeks before the season opens and I start using scent-free soap every day, no matter what, every day I use it. Right. Um, I don't use any cologne. I don't use any aftershave. If I shave, I'm shaving. I'll lather up scent-free soap, and that's what I'll use as shaving cream. Right. <laughs> or I'll just, you know, I'll just wet shave, whatever. I mean, uh, I don't have any hair on. The, I keep my head shaved. The, the Lord didn't bless me with a head full of hair, so <laughs> naturally I don't want I don't want shaving cream on my head all the time. Right. So, so in, that, in that regard, it worked that, out for you there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's no, you know, it's less no, that's that's less odor trap up there. So, right. Um, so basically, I'll just start a couple couple weeks ahead of uh, the season. Start using scent free soap. Um, I don't, you know, like I say, like I said, I stay away from all colognes. Um, I use scent free deodorant every day. Um, I'm lucky in the regards that I have a wife who is a is a is a passionate bow hunter too, just oh, nice. all around hunter. Period. So. We don't use a lot of heavy detergents, you know, smelly detergents on a daily basis. You know, right. A lot of the detergents that we use anyway are, are scent-free. So um, when I do go to wash my clothing, I'll usually run an empty load to the wash with, with uh, my detergent just to kind of get, you know, anything that's left over mm-hmm. out of there, you know, and then I'll wash my clothes. Uh, I handle everything with rubber gloves it goes from the washer to the dryer and i'll actually spray my dryer out and uh you know spray it down and, and wipe it down and throw my clothes in there dry them get them out get them in a scent proof bag <clears throat> and I, they don't they don't see the inside of my house they don't see the inside of my vehicle um even the uh even the towel that i dry off on after I shower is scent free. I know a lot of guys that don't do that. They'll yeah. grab that towel that's full of downy that their wife washed yep. and then they've got this they've got this wet skin <clears throat> excuse me. They've got this wet skin and they're drying off on this towel. That detergent smell to me and you may not seem like much, but you gotta think about a white tail's nose. He can he can pick that up. Because oh, what you've basically done is just put that downy all over your body. Yep. You know, and you think you think you're scent free, and you're not. Um, so even the towel that I dry off on um, is scent free. Um, now, do you dress? Do you dress before you, outside before you step foot in foot into the timber? I presume. <clears throat> well, what I'll do is I'll actually have a set of clothing washed also that's scent free. That like if I I got to drive to get to where I'm going, those are the clothes that I wear, and they're even they're scent free socks underwear everything mm-hmm. everything that goes in my body's scent free it's been kept in a bag too um i'll get up in the morning take my shower use my scent free towel put my scent free clothes on drive to wherever i'm going and then i strip completely down mm-hmm. outside of my vehicle put my hunting clothes on and take off yeah that uh, sounds pretty pretty uh similar to, to, to my regimen. I definitely got a couple interesting looks at like four o'clock in the morning, standing on the back of my tailgate, half naked, wipe, wiping down with, <laughs> yeah. field, wiping down with scent free field. Yeah. Cause as soon as I get out of my truck, yeah. I, I'll have a pair of scent free clothes that I'll wear while I'm in my truck driving to wherever I'm going. And then I'll get on my yep. tailgate, strip down, wipe down with some, some scent free wipes just as a precaution. The only other thing I do a little bit differently is I actually run a small ozone machine in my truck on my way to the ground, wherever I'm hunting. Mm-hmm. But that's yep. the only, uh, I- What's yeah, that? the ozone uh, technology is something I haven't uh, gotten into yet. I've had a few friends 
tell me about uh, how much they like it. So that's I kind of I can kind of see that on my horizon. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe coming. Um, one thing I do like to use now, um, uh, and this isn't a plug for a company, but Scentblocker makes a a, a body gel that's a deodorant. Okay. That actually, it's a gel, and I'll actually put that all, I mean, over my entire body. And what it's supposed to do is when you do sweat, because we're all going to sweat going to our stands, especially us mountain guys, when that sweat, it, it prevents that sweat from forming growing bacteria, which is what puts off the odor. Um, so I, I, that's one thing I really, really, really try to make sure that I've got plenty of on hand is that their their body deodorant gel and I'll just take myself in that stuff after I get out after I get out of the shower. <laughs> so that any 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 kind of sweat that I do build up, um, hopefully that stuff's doing what it's supposed to do and it's keeping that sweat from breaking down and, and forming bacteria. And uh and I also try to one way of minimizing sweat, and I'm sure you probably do the same thing, is when I go to my stand, I don't care if it's 20 degrees or minus 20 i'll usually just have a base layer on that's it i mean i'll have my my lower you know my pants and stuff on but up top i got one shirt on and that's it i go yeah i usually roll in 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 my base layers pants and or you know bottoms and tops and and just pack in if i'm if i'm taking a climber with me i'll just pack it on top the climber and roll in roll in like that which definitely makes for some chilly ascents but uh it's better than getting all getting all sweated up because honestly, it's like it, if you get all sweated up on the way up, it just makes it that much easier for you to get cold when you get finally get in the stand. So, oh yeah, I mean, I, just a couple of days ago, I was I went to my stand and I it was I had a hike up the mountain and when I got to my stand, it, I had a tongue, but I took the bottom steps out so no one could steal it because it's on public land. So I had to actually put those steps back in the tree. Well, I just took my top, my shirt off. So there I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's four thirty in the morning, and I'm I've got no shirt on, and it's twenty five degrees, and right. I can see the steam coming off of me through the through the headlamp. I'm screwing these steps back in my tree, but right. by the time I by the time I did all that, I had cooled back down. You know, my body was dry, and I was you know I wasn't freezing, and then I put my dry clothes on over top of it, and it just keeps me warm the rest of the day. You know. Right. So talking, speaking of working, getting, uh, you know, getting the sweat worked up here. One of the things that I really appreciate about, you know, your approach to things um, is I know that uh, fitness is also a part of how you, how you approach things. Obviously your, your, your profession, your, your day job, if you will, is, is focused Mm -hmm. around that. Um, It's something that I, you know, do daily um, to try to just, you know, for, from, just for health purposes alone. Um, but you know, of course it always is, is a, is a nice, uh, benefit, uh, whenever you start hunting some of these mountain mountain areas where it makes it a little bit easier. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in decent shape, so knowing that fitness is, you know, an important part of your, your, your life, I just want to talk to you about your approach to fitness and how you feel that it helps you as a hunter. So how does it fit into your lifestyle fitness overall and how, and where did that inspiration come from? Um, well, I, you know, I'd always been, I mean, most of my high school and, and college life, I had, I was, I was engaged in physical, uh, fitness from, from sports and playing football. And then, you know, after I got out of college, I kind of got away from the, the, uh, the physical demands of football and everything. And I kind of put on weight and, you know, like we, we all tend to do when I got older and, 
I started noticing I just couldn't get through the mountains, you know. I, I just couldn't get through them as easy as I, as I once did. And then I ran across uh, uh, a video one day, Cameron Haynes, which I'm sure everybody knows Cameron by now. Right. Um, and that kind of, uh, he kind of relit that fire in me that, you know, because I'd always had a purpose for being in shape, and it was for football. And mm-hmm. after my football and college career was over, I kind of really thought, well, what's the point now? You know, mm-hmm. I just kind of, you know, I'd been hammering at it for so long, I just kind of took a break, and that break led into a couple of years. And then before I knew it, I was, you know, 60 pounds overweight and couldn't move through the mountains very good. So then I kind of latched on to Cameron, and that kind of set the fire back into me that, you know, hey, hunting can be my purpose for getting back in shape so once i did that i started to realize you know being in shape allows me to go where these other guys don't want to go and that's where those big bucks want to be is where those other guys don't want to go so it was kind of uh you know how can you turn it down i mean the better shape that you're in um the more difficult spots you're going to be able to get to, and those are usually your areas that harbor the the biggest deer. Not always. I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule. I mean, I've seen guys that were you know, 100 pounds overweight shoot a deer on the top of a ridge. I mean, it just you know, but consistently, it's not going to happen. Right. Um, that doesn't happen consistently. And I, I would rather, you know, I'm looking for ways that I can consistently go out every year and at least have a chance to shoot a nice buck. Right. The other nice um, side benefit is, is if your cardio is in good shape, you you it takes you a little longer to break you, to hit that threshold to break that sweat. So you're also helping oh, with yeah. control. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah. So yep. what yep. what type Absolutely. of workouts? What type of workouts would you recommend? Like for you know, do you do anything specifically to get into bow shape and to get into to mountain hunting shape? Is there anything specific that you would do or that you would recommend? I tell you what, I I did for years, and something I learned this year for my elk hunt. Um, in years past, I would do. I would do a lot of treadmill running and then I would lift, you know, with free weights as much as I could. And while that type of training is good, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, this year when I was, when I was training for my elk hunt, I was kind of limited on time, how much time I could devote to getting in shape for this elk hunt. And I thought, well, how, what am I going to do? Because, I normally lift weights. I normally run. I'm gonna do all. So this time I thought I'm gonna do nothing but concentrate on my legs because uh, I stole this term from a guy a long time ago. The legs feed the wolf. I was just gonna mention uh, that because I read that in one of your articles and I, I actually yeah, wrote it down. Yeah. It's, it's a great quote. Yeah. yeah, and I got that from a guy, uh, Jared Fink. He was with Wilderness Athlete back in the back in the day when Wilderness Athlete first started. Uh, but he had said that, and it just stuck with me. And, you know, the legs feed the wolf. So in preparation for my elk trip, I did nothing but stair-stepping with a weighted pack, and I did that for three months. And I was in the best shape that I've ever been in as far as tackling the mountain. And I went out to Idaho. I had no problem whatsoever. I come back here, and it's like skipping up the mountains. I mean, it's like, you know, and I didn't touch a free weight <clears throat> In those three months uh, leading up to that elk hunt, I did nothing but that stair stepper. Um, so now that's kind of opened my eyes now where I don't want to totally dismiss the free weights because I, I enjoy 
working out. I enjoy, you know, I think total body conditioning is a great thing. Um, so I still want to incorporate, you know, the, the free weight training side into it. But for me, I'm getting older. I'm, I'm 45 now. You know, a lot of running just really, I've had knee injuries. Um, the, the running just really tears me up. But the stair stepping, stair stepper with the weighted pack, man, I could push myself as hard as I wanted to. And when you think about it, for me and you, I mean, that's all we do is climb. Right. Climb, 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 climb. And we've usually got a tree stand on our back and clothes on our back and all this stuff, you know, we have to put on our back so we don't, uh, you know, smother before we get to our stand. And it's, it, it, it just kind of dawned on me. I think, why did I do this years ago? I, <laughs> I should have been training like this a long time ago. We only knew back then what we knew stand. now. Yeah, and this was just, and this was a, this was a, this was a, this stair stepper must have been 25 years old. I mean, it was like the old, the old hydraulic, it had, it had like the old hydraulic shocks on it. I mean, right. thing, I couldn't sell it, I couldn't sell it for 50 bucks at a yard sale. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it absolutely ripped me up and got me ready for, for Idaho. And when I come back home, these, these hills here, man, I just, I go right up them. Nice. I'm gonna have so, to remember that because I'm I'm planning a a DIY uh, elk hunt in uh, in September with some buddies of mine, and I'm in pretty decent mm-hmm. shape. Like I work out every morning before work, and I do more of like a it's more of like a I guess you would call it like a fighting MMA style jujitsu kickboxing mm-hmm. type of workout. Um, yeah. So my cardio is usually pretty good. And I don't, I don't lift anything heavier than like 15 pound dumbbells. Um, just because, mm-hmm. you know, as you mentioned, getting a little older, things don't heal like they used to. Yeah. So I'm really trying not to hurt myself. Um, but yeah. I have to remember the stairs, uh, the, uh, the stair stepper. Cause, uh, I might've stepped in some, stepped in something cause I recommended to my friend who I'm going out there with. He's, he's a workout dude. He's a workout warrior. He's a big guy. And I was like, Hey, we should mm-hmm. do this thing called train to hunt that has these quarterly or these regional qualifiers where you do these mountain runs with a 50 pound mm-hmm. pack and all these shooting, you know, exercises and, all this stuff over the course of a day. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we should yeah. do that. And then I looked into what it was and I was like, oh man. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beast. It, yeah. It's, it's, uh, and the first time you get on a stair stepper with a weighted pack, the first time I did, I got on mine, my wife said, how long are you going to do it? And I said, eh, 20 minutes, you know, and I thought that'd be just, you know, better be good enough just to break, break it in 20 minutes. What? That's nothing. 20 minutes was up and I thought I was going to die. And if I didn't, if I didn't have so much pride and if my wife hadn't have been standing there watching, I'd have probably hopped off after about 10 minutes. Right. And it's just, you know, and that's the difference between running on a treadmill for half an hour yeah. and putting 45 pounds on your back and climbing for 10 minutes. There's a yeah. big difference there. Yeah. And sure. when I thought about it, I mean, which one of those resembles how me and you hunt? You yeah. know, it's the stair stepper. That's yeah. the, that's how that's how we hunt so that's that's something i'm really going to dive heavy into my training from here on out nice so you'd mentioned you know obviously we're carrying gear in whether it's our stands and you know on our back or you know packs that we're carrying and so forth so i'm always curious to see what kind of gear guys are using and what they're taking in their pack whenever they hit the when they hit the timber and so forth so yeah what type of bow are you currently shooting at the moment and i mentioned at the top that uh, you're a pro staff member with matthew so i presume it's a it's a matthews of some sort 
Yeah, right now I've got the Halon. Uh, I'm waiting on the 32 to show up at my door. It should be any day. Nice. Um, I, ha- I haven't had a chance to shoot that one yet. Um, Which brace height are yeah, you shooting? I'm shooting, uh, I'm shooting a 6 right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm at the Halon 6. Nice. Um, pr- pretty sweet shooting bow. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm not sure if you've shot it. Uh, I have a I have a five currently. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's a great um, shooting bow. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I want, actually wanted to try the five, but they uh, had already shipped me the six, so I just, you know, well, who am I to, to complain about? So I just kept the <laughs> six and, right. and went about my way. Um, I'm shooting a Halon uh, six, and I'm using uh, Victory Arrows. Mm. Um, man, those things are consistent. I mean, I've, I've shot a lot of arrows over the years, and there's a lot of good arrows out there, but as, <clears throat> as far as... Uh, it doesn't go. I mean, I, I I don't ever get a flyer out of them. I mean, okay. it's always you know they're always right there. And you know any other batch that I've had, uh, there's always a flyer or two. It seems like in the bunch, but with these these victory arrows, I've never had uh, I've never had a flyer in any of them. And I, I, I went through about three, four dozen of them. Nice. Now, are you, are you um, a broadhead or a mechanical guy? Um, fixed well, or fixed or mechanical, mechanical rather. I, I used to be a mechanical guy. And once I got, I, I, I started uh, using G5 makes an arrow squaring device. And I started squaring up my arrows with the, like, if I go to a pro shop or I just have them cut my arrows to length and then I'd take the rest, I'd take it home with me and build the rest of it. Right. And I would square the ends of that arrow up, put my inserts in, square my inserts in up really nice, fletch all of my arrows the same, you know, you know and uh, once I did that, and then um, it went through a process of called walk back tuning. Yeah, it's, it sounds complicated, but it's really not that complicated. Um, once I started doing that, I can get. I mean, I, I'm shooting Wacom three blades, and I can shoot at 80 yards with those things, just like a field point. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so I mean, all things being equal, I'd much rather hit a deer with a fixed blade head than a mechanical one, just for the fact that. There's nothing going to go wrong with that fixed blade. Right. For me, it's yeah. like I, I used to shoot mechanicals, and I, I switched this year to, to broadhead or to uh, to fixed blades um, just because mm-hmm. I was reading – it was actually I was reading an article about walkback tuning a little bit, and then I, I, there was another article that I read, and what they were talking about was just um, the amount of kinetic energy you lose that has to be taken up for that, that mechanical blade to open. Um, oh, yeah. you know, and they were just talking about, uh, you know, they would recommend for guys who have a draw length that's a certain length, shooting a certain poundage should really never shoot a mechanical because of how much kinetic energy you're losing. And I'm, I'm not a, a, a big guy. So my draw length is only 26 and a half inches. So, you know, even if okay. I'm, even if I crank my bow up to 70 pounds, I'm still not getting, you know, what some guys would get if they're shooting, you know, 29 or 30 inch, in, uh, 30 inch, uh, draw yeah. lengths, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I need you're to losing a lot of heads. feet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you you lose a lot of feet per second with that draw length. Um, yeah. So which yeah, is why I mean, I went, especially which... when you talk about the the broadheads that flip back and the mechanicals that have to open, you know, not the slip cam like the rages, right? Um, even the you know the ones that actually have to flip backwards, like those are. And I used to hunt with those. I used to hunt with the rocket steelhead, and I killed a ton of deer with those. But you know, it was because I couldn't get a a fixed blade to fly right. Right, and now that I can, uh, I'll never. Oh, I'll probably never shoot a mechanical again. Right. Just, so, what type of uh, 
So what type of camo are, are, are you wearing or outer outer gear are you wearing, especially in some of these, uh, the mountain areas where some weather can get a little bit tricky? Well, I had been using Under Armour for years, and this year I switched over and started using Sitka. Okay. And, I, I mean, I've always had gear that, you know, was supposed to be really good, supposed to keep you really warm and, you know, you know all the hype and and. A lot of it's really worked. I mean, it's it's worked good, but I've always, I was never really 100% comfortable. I mean, I always had a slight chill, and you know, but it wasn't not enough to drive me out of the stand. Um, and I had the Fanatic suit that Sitka makes, and I was just waiting for a perfect time to use it. And a couple of weeks ago, we had some, the temperature, I think when I got my stand, was supposed to be in the 50s, and then by daybreak, it was supposed to be in the 30s, dropping with rain, sleet, and snow, and I thought that's a perfect chance to test this suit out to see what it's going to do. So took that with me, and I literally could have stood. I, well, I, did, I stood in the stand till about 2.30, uh, and then I had to get out. I had some family stuff. I had to take care of kids and stuff. Um, but I literally could have stood in there all day and, and never moved, and I never once got cold felt a chill, nothing with that, with that fanatic suit on. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah. And the thing I've noticed most about the Sitka is the Optifade camo pattern. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, you know, when I first saw that a couple of years ago, I thought, there's no way I'd wear that in, a, in, a, in the <laughs> woods. Because you just you look at it and you look at these other camo companies and, the, you know, it's the eye appeal that we're used to and it's, it's what it looks like on the shelf, but Right. I'm telling you, I've had deer, and and you understand this, just because I'm in a tree stand doesn't mean I can't be eye level with a deer in the mountains because if they come on your uphill side and exactly. down the hill, they're eye level with you. Yep. I mean, I've had I've been in a tree stand and been five yards from deer eye level. Yep. You know, <laughs> if he was on the other side of me, he'd be 25 feet under me, but on this side, he's, he's you know, We're looking, looking at right at me. Yeah. Yeah, we're looking at each other like I was on the ground, and I've I've literally had at least ten deer look right through me with this optifade on, and not even not even give me a second glance and go on. And I've never had that happen. Most of the time, when they get that close to me, that head starts bobbing, the foot stomping starts, and then they go, they take off. Yeah, and then you're and then you then your day shot at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've heard really good things about their 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 products. Uh, it's pretty much anyone who I've talked to who who've used it um, has had similar similar thoughts. So this year, I used one garment of theirs um, just kind of mm-hmm. as a, as a trial run, and it, it was one of the fanatic mm-hmm. pieces, and it was it was awesome. It was great. Uh, it's oh, one, of those, yeah. one of those pieces where I was like, you know, this really made a difference being in the woods with it. Um, super comfortable, and even their stuff, it's not super heavy. Even even their lighter weight stuff, um, you would think that is uh, wouldn't be necessarily used as an outer layer, but it certainly is. You know, it's like I've hunted plenty mm-hmm. where I was just using like the fanatic hoodie where I went out, and that was all I was wearing with the with some base layers. And yeah. that was it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I bought, I'd gotten some stuff uh, for my elk trip. Um, it was the Mountain Series, which Sitka has a has a ton of different systems, and you know, I, it, it, once you get hooked on it, it's like it's like a drug. You got to have this system and then this <laughs> system. This one, but I mean, know, my, my, I wife, my wife's hoping I don't I don't get any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd gotten the Mountain System to take out west 
for my elk hunt. Well, up until that that weather front came through a week or so ago, I had been hunting in in the mountain series with just the base layers and the hoodie and the vest. I mean, I hadn't even gotten into the, you know, like I said, the fanatic stuff. I mean, that stuff is, you know, when it gets really nasty and you got to stay out, that's, you know, I had a buddy that was hunting that same day and he's texting me. He's like, how you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm fine, man. How are you? He's like, I'm soaked and I'm froze. You said, I'm in the truck. Going, <laughs> yeah, well, he did. He went home and he eventually went home. Wow. You know, and so that that's one of those things that, uh, yeah, you're going to pay a little bit of extra money for it, but if it, 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 if it's it's one of those things where your buddy's going to go to the house and you're going to stay in the tree stand, and a lot of times that makes it, yeah, it means a difference between shooting that, that really big buck and and not. So. Yeah, you, you certainly can't get them from the couch, and a lot of times I think, you know, in the outdoor world, because you're outside, you're in the elements, <laughs> it's one of those areas that you just don't want to skimp on either, you know. No, you don't. So what are what are what's the one thing that you don't leave home without that's not something that you wear that you would maybe throw in your pack? Like what's that one thing where if you you know, forget it you feel like the, the day's off? Oh gosh. Um, any superstitions? <clears throat> no, I don't have any superstitions. Um unless I just you know, get in a hurry and forget to pray. <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the for the Lord to watch over me and just keep me safe. Um and I don't really have any superstitions. I mean, I used to have a, I shot a, I shot a really big buck, uh, and I had a certain beanie cap on, and I thought for years, and I've always got to have that beanie cap on me, girl. <laughs> that, but it, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. What, one particular item I think I'd have to have. Um, I always like to have a backup light. Um, I learned my lesson with that this year, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one item I always make sure I have as a backup light. I really don't use a lot of uh, calls. I usually mm-hmm. don't. I usually don't rattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that goes against everything you read in magazines. But it's, it, you know, again, it goes back to the thing where, you know, we're not playing on the same. Uh, the playing field's not the same. So right. it's. It's just one of those things. I mean, and that everybody where you know, I, I can't th- I can't think of maybe one or two times that I've actually had a deer follow a scent trail in right. that I left, you know, with dopey and came right to my tree and I killed him. Right. You know, I, I just I can't I can't recall that ever happened, but I can recall a lot of times when you know I didn't wear my rubber boots and I wore regular boots and the deer stop dead in his tracks as soon as he hit my trail that I walked in on, you know, right. I mean, it's just, um, so I, yeah, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I can't really think of one item that I, maybe except for the backup light that I really wouldn't want to be without. Yeah. There's not, a good sharp, a good sharp knife. Yeah. There's, there's, I wouldn't say I do have, I guess me a little bit of superstitions. You mentioned the beanie and it just reminded me, it's like, I have a Steeler hat a Steeler beanie that's camouflaged that my daughter got for me the one year for Christmas. I wear that thing. Anytime I hunt deer, I wear uh-huh. that thing. Um, mm-hmm. Unless it's a little too warm that I don't wear it. But then <clears throat> I was thinking this year, I was like, maybe I should stop wearing it. I was like, cause I haven't killed a deer since I started wearing that hat. And uh, mm-hmm. finally this year, <laughs> this year got it, got it done. But you're from, you're from West Virginia. So you might be a Steeler fan. Is that, is that, is that a true statement or no? Uh, yeah. I like the Steelers. I'm a Broncos fan from way back, but right. uh, yeah, I like Steelers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I root for the Steelers. 
as long as they're not playing the Broncos. Right. <laughs> yeah, you've had you've had our number in some of the playoff games here recently, but that's 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 neither here nor there. That's yeah. okay. So we'll switch back to deer hunting yeah. since since it's not a favorable conversation for me talking football. <laughs> so i know you know I've, I've had you here for about an hour so i want to be i want to be sensitive to your time and i know you got uh you know your their basketball practice and stuff so just one one final question and i always like to kind of end with this um and i know you've kind of shared a couple different stories with us as we went through but you know i always like to go on a hunt with the with the folks that we have on and have them kind of take us through a memorable hunt now this doesn't have to be one that there was a harvest involved or anything like that it could just be something that you remember fondly in an experience that you had that you won't forget but just uh tell me what mm-hmm. state we're hunting in you know what time of year and just the the details between the uh the hunt to the to the tailgate of the truck um well i think one of the interesting ones i had was the buck i was talking about earlier had the uh that was in the snowstorm and had the uh like the leather on his knees where he just bedded for so much that you know that morning i i remember you know putting everything on my back and the wind's blowing and it's raining and i can see the, the rain in my my headlamp and i usually go in uh i usually don't use a white light i always go in with a red light um which kind of makes everything look different and you know i can see the, the rain you know dancing through this light and it's cold and and uh i actually had a friend with me who was going to film and he forgot the rain cover for the camera so he was just basically sitting and watching <laughs> and uh so i can remember getting up in my tree and 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 or getting to my tree and just trying to get dressed as quickly as i could because it's it's raining heavy now and i'm trying to keep each layer that i'm putting on from getting wet and i finally get everything on and get up the tree and it's raining, and I just basically, I, I rarely sit down. I usually stand uh, the whole time I'm hunting. I basically just hug this tree, and the rain turned to sleep and snow, and then, like I said, the deer were, were just moving the bucks route like crazy. And I just happened to look down the hill, and I could see antlers coming up this old logging road, and I knew immediately it was a, it was a shooter buck. And... Uh, he turned, come my way, and uh, where I had stood for so long in that weather, when I drew my bow back, he actually heard the ice breaking off my jacket and looked <laughs> up. And, but by then, it was too late, and uh, I ended up putting an arrow through him, and he dropped right there. I don't know if it, it wasn't, I don't know if it, it was, it was a little bit high, and it got I think part of his lung, but maybe he got, you know, must have severed a spinal cord or something because he dropped. And I thought, well, it's over. Well, then he starts sliding down over the hill. And by the time I can get another arrow out, he's he slid out of sight. He's down over in the thicket. So I thought, I better get down and finish this off. And I get down. By the time I can get down and get to this buck, he, he slid another 75 yards down the hill <laughs> i try to i try to get down to him well by the time i get to him he's laying on his back antlers in the ground he's on his back he's all four feet in the air i'm thinking okay it, it, it's over and i stand and i wait and i wait and he's still breathing and i you know like any other hunter i don't want i don't want that i want it to be over quick and i you know everybody wants a quick ethical kill right uh so I took a step toward him to, to to get set up to get another shot, and this deer actually kicked his hind feet up 
and flipped completely back up over on his feet and started down the hill again. And he got into a rock pile, and I had three arrows in my quiver. And by that time, I was so cold. My hands were so cold. I was, of course, the adrenaline's pumping like crazy. I shoot two of the two of the three arrows at him and try to try to hit him, and I, I miss both times. So I've got one arrow left. This buck's sitting on the edge of this rock cliff, and I stand there for about ten minutes, just trying to warm up my trigger finger. I, mean, I can't even feel my trigger finger uh, on, from on my release. And I use a spring release, so I really got to feel that that spring. So anyway, got down last arrow, last chance, and I, I put an arrow in him, and, and uh, he doesn't move. So I, I walk, I make my way down there, and he's laying there, and I grab him, thinking it's a, and this thing's still, he's still got, he's still fighting. Man. And he just about takes me and him over the edge of this little rock drainage, <laughs> but uh, I managed to hold on to him, and uh, um, just, that was it. And then, of course, my buddy's 100, 200 yards up the hill, so I motioned him to come down. You know, and he gets to me and uh, it's like, well, where's the knife at? He's like, well, it's back up there at the tree stand. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> you didn't bring it? No, you didn't bring it. So I've got to drag this buck through 300 yards of, of just misery. <laughs> everything inside of it to get down to another road just so I can get a truck to him. So, <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, so that was a pretty that was a pretty rough day. But it, was worth, it was worth every minute. Right, that was quite the uh, adventure. He was an old warrior, man. That's a, that's a, that's a tough deal oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, the, the taxidermist told me that it was nine and a half. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how accurate that was. Didn't have, a, you know, didn't have any teeth sent off professionally or anything like that, but he right. said he was probably one of the oldest deer he'd ever seen so you know which explains a lot of his behavior and his fight right all that so wow well that yeah. was a great story man that was that's definitely a, a, a the perfect note to to kind of end on so i definitely will let you uh let you get going we've eaten up a lot of your time i certainly appreciate you coming on and uh and joining us awesome stories awesome insights on how to get after the mountain bucks and uh i wish you nothing but the best here the rest of this uh rest of the season and hope you uh tag out I'll, of course be following you on on social media uh and so forth uh just kind of following your season and, and, and seeing how everything ends up for you oh i appreciate that really i do i really appreciate you uh, you having me on it's uh it's humbling for me when somebody asks, uh, you know, anything about deer hunting for me. Like I said, I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but, uh, just some of the stuff that, that's worked for me, hopefully it can work for somebody out there that's listening to, listening to your, to your show. So but, absolutely, man. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. And I look forward to, uh, you know, continue to follow your writings. And for those of, uh, folks out there listening, you know, do yourself a favor and, and, and look up some of, uh, some of Steve's articles, look for his articles to come in the future. And I would say even do yourself a, um, a favor and look at some of his, uh, his archives that he's written in the past. Definitely great reads and, and worth every minute of, a uh, reading. So I appreciate your time, Steve. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Clint. 
All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. We'd like to thank Steve for joining us. Be sure to give him a follow on his uh, social media platforms. Uh, I'll be sure to place the links to those in the blog post show notes. Also, I'd like to thank our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Be sure to check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And of course, we'd like to thank all of you for tuning in. If you like what you're hearing, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and or Stitcher. And you can, of course, listen to us on Google Play. If you are liking things, uh, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. We'd be very much appreciative of that. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.